going on, everyone? Welcome here to the Forward Progress Best Bet Show, Week 8 in the NFL, part of the Hammer Betting Network and presented by Pinnacle Sportsbook. This week, I'm alongside the same cast of guests per usual, Eric Eager, top right-hand corner of the screen, Suma, bottom right-hand corner of the screen, Hitman, bottom left-hand corner of the screen. If you're new here, just a real quick intro on how this show works. I know we're picking up more of a YouTube audience after the fact as well. But we're going to pick games to cover this week that at least one or two of us have opinions on. Sometimes they're not the prettiest games on the board, but we do want to give you something actionable and talk about games that some of us have leans to and that would consider betting over the course of the week. At the end of the episode, each of us will give a best bet. All the picks will be tracked via BetStamp third-party app under the Forward Progress HQ account. That way you can hold us accountable. And we're going to try to make this as forward-looking as possible. But as I say that, as we start every week, we review the week that was. And listen, guys, I know collectively the best bets haven't been great this year, but another week of pretty solid leans. This is the classic tout move, as Hitman likes to say. Um, not necessarily on well on your part, Eric. Well, Seattle, we got right. I think that's incorrect with the graphic. That should be a check mark. I was going to say, Seattle, we got right, definitely on the lead. Uh, but overall, decent with the leans. In terms of the best bets, it was a two and two week. My profile says coming in hot because I like to tout whenever I win best bets. I've been staying up late at night, guys. Uh, I've been waking up a little bit earlier in the morning, grinding hard to handicap these games. I got it right. Eric got it right with Seattle. Hitman, unfortunately, the win streak ended at one. I laid my close two and a half, even with Trevor Lawrence active. I'm the CLV king right here. Uh, Suma also like with the CLV through the roof on the minus two Washington that closes minus three. We did a good job getting good numbers next week, uh, last week. So um, hopefully good numbers this week lead to some positive results. Before we get into it, everyone in the chat right now, can get in on the chat first and foremost by clicking that subscribe button here on Forward Progress. We do read the comments over the course of the show. And we'll get to as many as we can at one point or another, but also smash that like button down below. It does help people find our content in real time as well. So let's get right into it. First game of the week. Two AFC playoff contenders. I, I say contenders based off of record right now. Jacksonville Jaguars are five and two. They're visiting the Pittsburgh Steelers four and two. The Jags struggled to start the year. They've now won four in a row after Thursday night football against the Saints. The Steelers, who knows? They could be turning the page on offense. It wasn't a total offensive turnaround last week, but Kenny Pickett looked a bit better in the second half with Deontay Johnson back there. Ultimately, as you can see by Suma's caption, he got did in by Tomlin's voodoo once again. Market for this game right now. The Jacksonville Jaguars laying two and a half on the road. Minus 114 at Pinnacle. The total in the game is 42. Eric, I will start with you. It's been very tough to handicap Steelers games for a long time now. I think a lot of us just look at the box scores at the end of the games like, how do they do this? Are we ready to say that there's something over time to this Steelers like trend of being able to pull out these games? Or is it just a bad stylistic mismatch this week against the Jacksonville Jaguars? It's so funny because I went back this week um, for a project I'm doing for work and like I literally tried to find 
you know, I, I tried to model Tomlin like 18 different ways to try to like find him in the top 10 and something. And I just simply couldn't. I think that there is something with player development that he could. But to me, it's just like at this point, like I make this game four. So I'm just going to, you know, I, I just like this game from a from a numerical standpoint. Um, I, you know, Kenny Pickett is, you know, dropped over 30 expected points added in the passing game. Uh, the run game, they still, you look at usage patterns for Najee Harris and they're like the exact same as there, as it, you know, he was last year and they revved him up as the season progressed last year. So, uh, even as inefficient as he, he is, I think that they're going to continue to go with him. Um, you know, uh, I think that the Jaguars defense is better than we all had anticipated uh, going into the year, even though their schedule is not particular hasn't been particularly hard with a lot of NFC South teams. So when I just look at this game, I'm like, you know, I'm just going to trust the trust the numbers here on on Jacksonville, even though, uh, you know, the voodoo magic of Mike Tomlin is is, you know, uh, we, we very much acknowledge it. Yeah, Suma, we talked about this last week when we broke down the Rams and the Steelers. And I know as the week went on, you kind of went in a little bit harder on the Rams or like your opinion on them changed a little bit and you'd like them by game time last week. What do we do here in this situation? Like, I think the challenge with the Steelers is separating um, what we saw pre-buy from what we might see post-buy because pre-buy was a, a disaster for them, frankly, and there was injuries on the offensive side of the ball. But what's your expectation of this team going forwards? Are, are, are you willing to go and bet against them again? I'm willing. I don't know if I can do it this week. Um, but even in the in, in the game against the Rams, I mean, the Rams missed seven points from kicking. Okay, TJ Watt had that monster interception. That's also part of the Steelers' game. So we cannot just say um, TJ Watt will not make splash plays going forward. But the offense, I mean, they had two good drives, but that was it. They had, I think three drives and, and the last drive was the final drive which ended in that crazy dpi slash fourth down bad spotting by the refs and that was the third drive in the entire game where the pittsburgh Steelers offense collected more than 32 yards of of offense so i mean even in that game it, it was it, it basically came down to benefiting from opposing mistakes and just do enough to somehow come away with a win and unfortunately with a cover but um i mean jacksonville eric laid it out perfectly i think jacksonville is still the better team i think that their defense also much better than i thought going to going into the year especially their run defense so once again i would not expect the steelers to do much on the ground and then it will come down again on can the steelers defense make a few big plays and can Kenny Pickett maybe hit Josh Pickens a few times? And if your answer is uh, it will not be enough, you are probably going to bet the Jacks. And if you believe the Steelers are looking better coming out of the bye, I think uh, you could make an argument um, for the Steelers. But if I had to bet this game, gun to my head, I would probably still take the Jaguars here. Okay, so Eric is more adamant about liking the Jags this week with his number above three. Sumak's like a very small lean if he had to bet that. Hitman, any thoughts on this one? I mean, both of these teams, in my opinion, and I'll get get your thoughts, obviously, are very unpredictable. 
um, in the sense that I think their ranges are very wide on any weekly basis. What do you make this game and how do you handicap it? Um, so I made the game on the number. I really don't have a, even a lean towards either side. I will say that I have upgraded Jacksonville in recent weeks, and I thought that it was really impressive what they did against the Saints last week. Uh, money was pouring in against them, even after the Lawrence got ruled in. And it, a lot of it, I think, was that it was a really bad spot for Jacksonville. And Jacksonville, like, that game wasn't as close, in my opinion, as the final score indicated. Like, they were clearly the better team than the Saints in that matchup. And then, you know what, I could tell you a bunch of stats about the Steelers, their offense. I mean, they've punted on a league-high percentage of drives that have started in their own territory. A lot of their scoring has just been from turnovers and positive field position. Um, on early downs, they are last in the league in yards per play and Jacksonville has been a really good and underrated run defense this year and just defense overall, but especially their run defense. So I, I don't expect Matt Canada to really open things up. It's going to be the same thing where they're going to probably look to run on early downs. It's not going to be successful against this run D and they're going to end up throwing a lot of prayer balls to George Pickens and Deontay Johnson. But with that said, uh, just to follow up on what your initial question was about the Steelers, how they just keep overcoming their stats and metrics every single year, every single game, seemingly. I don't, it, there's just something that we can't put a price on that Tomlin, I mean, he's never had a losing season in his career. And if you remember, even like to those old Patriots teams with Belichick, despite everyone knowing they're the best team and they win five, six Super Bowls, they're still like 60%. ATS and they just do things that don't show up in the stat sheet typically. And the Steelers, obviously they're nowhere close to that level of a team, but they just do things that don't show up in the stat sheet. And it's, it's tough right now to, to, to bet against them, to be honest. It's a little bit scary with, uh, as Suma likes to say, the voodoo. Yep. And I'm kind of with you on, on that one as well. I, I have a very, very small lean to Jacksonville here. The thing that I find really interesting about this game is that you actually have two teams that blitz a lot. Uh, both these teams blitz at top six rates in the NFL this year. And both of these quarterbacks have actually really struggled against the blitz this season. Trevor Lawrence's numbers are staggeringly, staggeringly bad. He's been blitzed 61 times. His EPA per play is minus 0.31. That's the fourth worst mark in the entire league. I think part of that is just not having like that third receiver there. Zay Jones has been injured. They do, he just doesn't have guys that are consistently getting open when he faces those. Kenny Pickett, when he's blitzed, his turnover-worthy play percentage goes from 1.9% to 5.4%. So through the roof as well, how much of that is not having Deontay Johnson on the field for a lot of the year and Pat Fryermuth? So I think there's a lot to take into account here. But ultimately, whenever I see numbers like that, I think chaos and I think that there's a very wide range of outcomes in terms of what can happen here. So no strong opinion from me on this particular game. I do have a strong opinion, though, about Pinnacle Sportsbook. And throughout the course of this show, the bottom of the screen, you're going to see live odds at Pinnacle Sportsbook. And what you might often realize is like, hey, I don't have those odds at my sportsbook. I'm going to bed and I have a worse price on either the side or the total. And that's because... Pinnacle Sportsbook has very low margins. Everyday competitive odds. If you are betting, bet smart, bet Pinnacle in business for the past 25 years. Use code HAMMER when signing up to Pinnacle if you are in Ontario. It does help support us here on the Forward Progress YouTube channel. 
And as always, you must be 19 plus, not available in the US. And please play responsibly. Cannot preach that enough. We're very realistic about winning and losing in the NFL. It's very fine margins here. So make sure that you're always betting responsibly. All right, guys, let's get into game number two here. The Carolina Panthers had a bye week to maybe gather themselves after an 0-6 start. Uh, 0-5-1 against the spread, still haven't covered a game. The big news for them in the bye week, offensive coordinator Thomas Brown is going to take over the play-calling duties from head coach Frank Reich. First opponent for them with potentially a new-look offense is the Houston Texans. The Texans exceeding expectations. They're coming out of a bye as well. 3-3 three and three record against a very tough schedule. Market right now in this game at Pinnacle is the Houston Texans laying three on the road, shaded towards the Panthers slightly at minus 109. Total is at 43 uh, at the moment. Hitman, I will start with you here. Both teams coming out of a bye week. How do you handicap this one? It's funny. Before we went on, I said to you, Rob, I was like, you know, I was looking for some statistics that would back up the Panthers and their year-to-date metrics, but you can't find many in, in this game. But I, I still think that the Panthers, I made the game around 2.75. And so I think that the Panthers at plus three do have some value. I think that Thomas Brown's going to be an upgrade for the Panthers at offensive coordinator. We've seen just historically it seems like teams do tend to respond positively to coaching changes mid-season. And the Panthers' offense, it's, it's a, such a small sample size with the preseason, and it's not real games and everything. But they did look better in the preseason when Thomas Brown was had the play-calling duties instead of Frank Reich. I believe they were switching it off. Like one half would go to Brown, one would go to Reich. It, they did look better in, in those spots. Winless teams off a bye. We'll call me their situational Suma. Now maybe we'll say Tommy Trends or something. But um, winless teams off a bye. 30 and 11 against the spread. A lot of the logic behind that is just that these winless teams, they tend to be at the bottom of their power rating that they'll be at for the entire year. Plus you just have another week that you're hearing all – it should be max focus typically. Like you would think if you're 4-0 going into a bye, that's maybe time to, all right, let's go to Mexico, let's relax, we'll go on vacation. When you're 0-4, your focus should probably continue to be to win games. So there's that going on for them. I think that the Texans are at the peak of their power rating. And then you have the strength of schedule that the Panthers have faced. I mean, it's been Miami, Detroit, Minnesota – Seattle in recent weeks like they've looked really bad but this is a gauntlet of opposing teams that they've had to face you could also get JC Horn potentially back that would be a big addition for this defense I just I made it slightly lower than, than what it is and maybe call it a little bit of a gut feel I know we don't like to talk about gut feels but it just feels like this team I believe will respond positively to the Thomas Brown coordinator change coming off the bye yeah, there's not a lot, like you mentioned, Hitman, from what we saw in the first six games that would lend itself to probably, you know, having a, a real strong, positive outlook for the Panthers going forwards. But, you know, we don't live in the past. This is about handicapping the future and, and things do change over time. Eric, I want to throw it to you here um, for this market as well. Is there any reason to be optimistic about Carolina going forwards and in particular this game? 
Well, I think, you know, uh, per our metrics at Sumer, they have a top five easiest schedule in the NFL moving forward. So, like, if you're looking, I mean, if you're a true sicko and you're looking at, like, a Jacksonville Jaguar midseason bet from last year at over 10 to 1 uh, type of thing to, to win a division, like, they are only three games back of, of uh, New Orleans and, and, well, no, three, yeah, three and a half, yeah, two and a half games back in New Orleans, three and a half games back of Atlanta, like, that that's doable. Both those teams are pretty bad. Um, from the perspective of this game, to me, it's just like the other side. It's like, have we really, you know, CJ Stroud's been phenomenal for a rookie quarterback, but he kind of, to me on the spectrum is more of like a very encouraging as opposed to good where you just check a box and say, okay, he should be a three point road favorite as a rookie, uh, you know, with a rookie head coach. Um, I agree with everything Hitman said about, you know, moving on to Thomas Brown. I think that makes Frank Reich a better in-game decision maker as well, which will help them on the margins. We know that D'Amico Ryans isn't necessarily that guy as far as, uh, you know, squeezing the edge out there. So I think there's there's regression both ways for the quarterbacks, which compresses the, the point spread for me, uh, especially given how high variance Stroud has been, like a low completion percentage, um, but a decent EPA type of thing. I think that that regresses just from style of play. Um, and then you get Bryce Young off a bye with a new play caller. I think there's enough variance there where plus three at home uh, to me is too much. Suma, you've been a really big proponent of so far and been very impressed with a lot of uh, the tape that you watch and his metrics. So a little bit of positivity from Hitman and Eager on Carolina this week at plus three. What do you make this game between the Texans and the Panthers? Is there any way that you're leaning? I make it three. I think going forward, Carolina will be fine and we will absolutely see some more good performances. Also, Eric mentioned the, the schedule. Um, but I cannot quite get there with a bet on, on the Panthers. Um, what I like or, or what I find interesting about the Texans' offense is that Stroud has looked very decent, maybe especially well for a rookie quarterback. And they did this with most of their starting O-line being injured until like week four or five. And with a basically with, with basically a bottom three rushing offense. So they had no support from their run offense. And the Texans run man do at the highest clip by far. This is their go-to concept. And now they face a Carolina defense that is arguably the worst defense against the one and allows a 53 successful against this certain type of concept. They, they cannot defend this. So I think this is a game or this might be a game where Texans get a little bit more for one support and this might, this might also help their offense overall. Um, also, some injuries with Carolina. Jesse Horn, I, I don't think he has gotten off IR yet. Xavier Woods was out before the bye. Von Bell was out. Jeremy Chin is going to IR. Yetro Mosgrados uh, or Gross Meadows is going to IR. So, uh, Panda's defense not great and also banked up. So, and these are basically the arguments that cannot get me to to Carolina. I'm basically right right on market right now. I did uh, forward progress with Clive Bixby on Sunday night following the Week Seven games, and we took a look at the openers that were coming out. And I don't really have my numbers run by then, but right away, the Panthers stood out to me as a play. Personally, I still like them at this number. I've not been high on Carolina at all uh, in recent weeks. 
but I think that there is enough upside to get me there this week. And going back to what Eric said, it's not so much Carolina as Houston needing to win by more than a field goal on the road as well to cover a spread. And I think that makes the Panthers a very viable play. Before we get into our next game, I do want to get your guys' thoughts on this. Eric brings this up in the chat. Uh, there's a new play caller in Carolina. Threw a little lunch money on Bryce Young, offensive player, rookie of the year at 80 to 1. Hitman, you're typically involved in these types of markets. Obviously, CJ Stroud, the pretty big favorite right now in that market. 80 to 1 worth a flyer or save your money? I, I will say that. You know what? If you're ever going to think about buying Bryce Young, when do you do it? You do it when he is going against C.J. Stroud, the yeah. favorite in this market. And C.J. Stroud lays up an egg. Bryce Young plays really good. The C.J. Stroud's line is going to get a lot worse, and Bryce Young's line is going to go down a lot. So I think that it's great market timing at the least. Eric? Uh, you mentioned the easy schedule, 80 to one, possibly a buy point for Bryce Young, rookie of the year. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the the thing is, is, you know, Stroud has an easy schedule as well. I mean, starting with this week, of course, but Hitman makes a great point that you can use the um, you can use kind of like the 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 matchup between the two players as kind of like the the fulcrum point. It's also the funny thing is Young is like for the metrics that like the the voters will look at. Six touchdowns, four interceptions is like not it's not like where Zach Wilson was as a rookie. Right. And so there is the, from a from, you know, a statistical standpoint, like he is salvageable uh, for somebody to make that vote if he were to come on as far as from the narrative perspective. So I don't mind it at all. No, seems like the chat is pretty big proponents of this being a good leverage spot. Um, and you know what? Like I've seen these market. I remember a time where Davis Mills was being considered for rookie offensive rookie of the year. Just like this market changes like crazy from a week to week basis. So I absolutely don't hate that for a starting quarterback at that price, despite the fact that I do think it's pretty unlikely to win. All right, let's move on to our third game here. Uh, it's an interconference. I guess we can coin it the battle of the birds or something stupid like that. It's the Arizona Cardinals hosting the Baltimore Ravens in Arizona at State Farm Stadium. Ravens, obviously, last week, one of the most impressive performances of the season, 38-6. They drummed Detroit. Lamar Jackson was amazing. Just start to finish, beat down another very good Lions team. The Cardinals come in, four-game losing streak. They're back at home after losing to the Seahawks last week, 20-10. to They did get safety Buda Baker back uh, from a hamstring injury. He played fine in that game. But James Conner's still on IR. Kyle Murray... Uh, taking reps in practice, not expected to play at all. The market in this game, Ravens laying eight and a half on the road. The total sitting at a key number of 44 here as well. And I'll start with you, Eric, on this game. The Cardinals have really fallen off in recent weeks. Is there any expectation that they're going to get back on track this week? No, not this week. I mean, I've been trying to bang this drum for the last like few weeks where like this team is very serious about picking first. I think that there is a leak, obviously, with Murray possibly coming back. Um, but right now, Josh Dobbs is like, again, this is like Josh Dobbs is encouraging, but he's not good. Like he's not he he's a backup quarterback in the NFL. I mean, if you look at some of the statistics, for example, um, you know, he's generated 
you know, negative 39 EPA, which is, you know, in the passing game, which is worse than Kenny Pickett. It's worse than, um, you know, basically the Mac Joneses and the Desmond Ritters and the Derek Carrs of the world. Like this isn't an effective passing offense. As we saw last week, I was probably lucky to get Seattle to the window at, at minus, you know, seven and a half, minus eight, eight and a half. But uh, but like that was because Josh Dobbs could not take advantage of a Seattle team that's left footed, you know, two left feet in the red zone. I think the Ravens, you know, they have the potential and we've seen it a number of times for them to play a game and I to play a game where they don't dot the T's and cross the I's. But I think uh, Arizona is so bad right now that even if the Ravens play a ho-hum game, this thing being under double digits for me seems like a buy price for the Ravens. Suma, I saw you nodding a little bit there while Eric was breaking it down. Seems like you're potentially high on the Ravens again this week. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think everything what Eric says is correct. Uh, Arizona has really fallen off a cliff after a few great and maybe surprising performances. Um, their passing game is declining. And what's also very interesting is their, their run game has been declining since James Conner went on IR and the splits between James Connor being in the formation and him being out are absurd. Like a huge drop in EPA per rush, success rate, yards per play. It's it's really a, a staggering drop-off. And that has to have something to do with James Connor being able to execute that that run scheme. I think he also popped a few explosive plays earlier in the season and all of that is gone. They scored 20 points against the Bengals, I think, with some turnover help. They scored nine at, at, at the Rams, who also left eight points on the board by dropping touchdowns. Cooper Cup and Pukanakua, two touchdown drops. Um, and last week, they couldn't even cover despite winning the turnover battle 3-0. I pretty much think this, this team is dead right now. And... It's the same great matchup for Lamar Jackson as last year. We talked about this. Um, Arizona, middle of the field, open defense, lots of zone. Lamar Jackson is, is has a 63% success rate against middle of the field, open defenses this year. He's killing it against zone. I think this is, again, a, a very, very good matchup for this um, Ravens offense. And on the other side, the Ravens defense is a top three unit right now one of the best DCs, and I just don't see how Arizona is going to compete with them. And I also think second half, if Ravens jump out to a big lead, they they can run the ball and sit back and bring this cover home. So, Hitman, a lot of times when we break down the NFL, we kind of talk about it. We do talk about it like a market, right? This is a betting market. And generally speaking, um, I know from, from breakdowns you've given on the show in the past, we talk about, you know, buy points, sell high buy low on certain teams you're probably not going to get a higher point than the ravens destroying the lions last week 38 to 6 yet for some reason or another the line didn't change much on the look ahead i mean what what do we do with this game is it just a matter of the ravens are that much better than the cardinals or is there like reason for there to be some concern for them coming off of that performance last week I don't have a, I don't have much of an opinion. I, I thought that the number was pretty close to to what it should be. I will say that Baltimore, I think, like we might just end up keep having to upgrade them to the point that they are the second best team in the AFC, debatably, especially with the fact that Lamar Jackson, we knew coming into this year, he was entering a new offense. 
And uh, it's going to make sense that when you have such a change, you're going to end up maybe starting slow with Todd Monken's offense. And now we're starting to see Lamar just getting, I mean, that game last week was super encouraging. And the games from the past few weeks were super encouraging as well. It's just a lot of dumb luck that went against them. So kind of my takeaway that I had from last week was upgrading Baltimore pretty massively. I agree with everything that Suma said about the James Conner injury mattering to the Cardinals. We said last week that Josh Dobbs and this Cardinals team were regressing back to some of our priors and we're getting proven right on that. And then I know Eric said something about, he was like, oh, well, I had Seattle last week, kind of got lucky with the cover. I mean, Seattle, I think was minus three in turnover margin in that game. Like I I watched that whole game and I felt like Seattle was pretty clearly the right side and Arizona still lost by double digits despite getting a lot of fortunate breaks. But at the end of the day, I think that the market, it's kind of price. Everything I just said, I feel like the market's kind of pricing Arizona's back to our priors and Baltimore is putting themselves in position to be arguably the second best team in the conference. Yeah, just to, I I thought I got lucky at the end. I do agree that like the Seattle was the right move, but like the Seattle like stepped on their own dick like the entire game. Yeah, well, and still and still almost you know tried to try to screw up that cover. Anytime Arizona could run a fake punt and throw seven yards short of the sticks <laughs> in the fourth <laughs> quarter, I mean, on I the guess other that's side of 50, but... yeah. yeah, unreal. Um, the one thing I will say about the Cardinals, I'll I'll make a a small contrarian case here. I don't really have like a a very strong opinion on this, but the Ravens play a lot of man and a lot of cover one. They've done a lot of that this season. So one safety over the middle while they're playing man. And that's actually been a, both of those have been a type of defense that Josh Dobbs has really excelled against this year. If you actually look at his numbers against man and cover one, he's top eight in EPA, which I think a lot of that's to do with his ability to scramble. Uh, Obviously when you're playing man, you're following your receivers around. You just don't have like a spy on the quarterback in a lot of situations. And that's been a, a point of success for this offense. I don't know that that's going to continue going forwards. I think the absence of James Conner is big. They don't have a huge running game. But just something that, like, a lot of times there's these matchups between a team that's clearly better than another. And some people just bet the bad team because it's like, oh, we got to fade the public or whatever. And there's, like, no rhyme or reason to it. <laughs> I do actually think that there's a weird opportunity for success for Arizona in this game. They could also lose by 35. Like that's within the the realm of possibility. Well, I think the connection is like Wink Martindale with the Giants. That was like kind of the best game that the Cardinals had. And the Giants don't necessarily, the Giants have shown that they actually have some talent defensively. So I do agree with your point that like this is a, when everybody's backs turned to the quarterback, he can be more effective. Um, yeah, that, that's a good point. I, I do think that the, the loss of James Conner has weirdly been a catalyst for this team completely, tank, you know, Tanking, not like necessarily intentionally, but certainly on the scoreboard. All right. Before we get into our fourth game here, there's 175 of you watching in real time. There's only 46 likes on this stream right now. I'm not a math PhD like Dr. Eric Eager over here, but that's roughly like 26% or so. I'm pretty good at math. I think I think I got it right, right around that range. Just really quickly smash that like button down below. We got to get our ratios up uh, here so people can find our content as well as we get into game number four here on the best bet show on forward progress. And this one, a little bit more interesting, maybe, I guess it depends on your point of view, but the Cleveland Browns going 
playing their second straight road game. They travel west to take on the Seattle Seahawks. P.J. Walker, a couple hours ago, announces the starter for this game as Deshaun Watson is dealing with uh, an injury where he can't just can't put any zip on the ball. This is the Seahawks' second week in a row at home. They beat the aforementioned Cardinals last week. They're 2-1 and one at home this year. They dropped the opener to the L.A. Rams. Meanwhile, the Browns, 39-38 win at Indy last week. If you cover the scores on that, on that box score and just looked at the box score metrics, you'd probably be pretty shocked that Cleveland ended up winning that game on the road. I should note right now that this game is off the board at Pinnacle, as is a lot of other sports books right now on the quarterback news. We're referencing the line that was available prior to P.J. Walker being announced as starter, and this will reopen. So we'll do our best to handicap it with where we think we're going. But at that time, the Seahawks were laying three, minus 125. The total in the game was 39 and a half. I'll start with you on this one, Hitman. Um, obviously this is going to come out at, at like another number now than previous, but I think that there was some optimism for Seattle on your part with the quarterback situation that's been brewing in Cleveland. Yeah. So my, my mindset on this game from when the week started was, Hey, if Watson is active and this line moves to two and a half, I'm going to be on Seattle. If Watson's not active, I'm going to look, I'm going to lay three. I did lay three on this game. And to be honest, I don't think three and a half is that bad of a look either. I kind of made this closer to, to four and a half, five-ish. Uh, Seattle, I think, is really underrated right now. And especially defensively, their run defense has been really good this entire season. They're allowing a league low 2.9 yards per carries to opposing running backs and a league high success rate for their run defense. But then you look at also what the past defense has been since they got back Jamal Adams, since they got back Devin Weatherspoon. Over the last three games, their first, the defense overall is first in EPA per play. They're first in success rate. It, it's just been a defense. And you look at them talent-wise, like they got some guy. Like this secondary has some guys. This front has some guy. Like, and Pete Carroll has – pretty much always been able to coach defense throughout his career. So I think that this is an underrated defense. Geno Smith is second in the league in completion percentage over expected after he was first last year. He's fourth in success rate. Their offensive line is getting healthier. They have no shortage of weapons on this offense. I think that this is a good Seattle team and it's a Browns team that I think it's you. It was you Rob that was saying that PJ Walker is the second worst quarterback in your database or something like out of like 160 quarterbacks or something. And last week was a very fortunate result for this Browns team to, to win that game with penalties at the end, miles Garrett just apps playing like Superman in that game. I, I, I still lean towards Seattle, even over a field goal at this point. So the, the metric that Hitman is referencing, which I talked about, was uh, I went back and I looked at the last decade of quarterbacks in the NFL, uh, and I used an arbitrary endpoint, but quarterbacks that have thrown or had dropped back to pass at least 100 times. And I found 135 quarterbacks that have done that in the past decade. In terms of success rate, P.J. Walker was second last on that list, 134th out of 135. Going into last week, the only quarterback worse was Jimmy Clausen on that list of 135 quarterbacks. Uh, so Suma, Hitman, makes the case for Seattle. 
we typically, we focus a lot on sides when we break these down on a weekly basis. Uh, we do talk about the totals here and there as well, but this is a game that it looks like potentially the total might catch your interest. Yeah, I'm just having a hard time seeing these both teams score a ton of points in this one. Seattle more than <coughs> Cleveland, obviously, but um, Hitman said it. Seattle's defense is looking really good. Yes, they, they didn't have the toughest schedule since playing the Lions where they got shredded, but they got healthier. Witherspoon is looking like an absolute start. Their run game is really, really, really good. And if you take away the run game for Cleveland, like... What are you expecting PJ Walker to do? Like drop back and bomb them away? It, it, it's really tough to to imagine that. Um, last week against Indy, like they got so many garbage points and scores. Like after their first touchdown, which was a, a 69-yard run by Jerome Ford on, on on 32, they scored 23 points while only. Um, um, managing to get, uh, I think, 62 yards of to total offense on those drives where they scored 23 points, like fumble, uh, touchdown of the strip sack, uh, three field goals where they had zero, six, and 17 yards of offense. I mean, one touchdown where they got the ball at the, um, I think, uh, Seattle 34 yard line or something. So they they were not really able to score and. It's 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 a common scheme with this offense. They just don't have the quarterback right now, and I, I'm seeing them having a hard time scoring. And on the other side, yes, I, I agree with everything that Hitman said. Uh, Seahawks are looking so good. Their run game is looking extremely good this year. I think they will have some success running the ball on this on this Browns defense. Uh, the only thing that concerns me when it comes to a major breakout game or something is that. Um, Geno Smith of the Kryptonite this year has been man coverage and cover one defense. And this is like the exact thing that the Browns play at the highest clip by country mile in the league, like uh, highest rate of man coverage, highest rate of cover one. And this really has been Geno Smith of the Kryptonite. And this might um, limit their, their passing game in general um, sidewise at, at, at a soft minus three or what it was. Before the show, I think it's hard to make a strong case for Cleveland, but I think it's also a or it's also hard to make a strong key a strong case for lots of scores in this one. I'm just going to add on to what Suma said there because I think it's a really valid point. But if you look at Geno Smith this year against zone defenses, he has the fifth highest EPA per play in the league against man coverage. He's 35th, uh, and on the other side, I also like this under as well, and that's kind of why I'm piggybacking here. But PJ Walker has the worst EPA per play against zone of any quarterback in the entire league. Seattle runs more zone than any team in the entire. It's like the perfect recipe for an under, in my opinion, unless we get some sort of, as someone mentioned in the chat already, I think Patrick said, I'd rather look for Brown's team total under. I'm so nervous on PJ turnovers. I'm nervous on both these quarterbacks turning it over in this game and there being like two defensive scores to burn an under. Eric, go, go ahead. You have some thoughts. Yeah, on well. it does feel though like the perfect kind of under situation where you have the the worst team playing a zone, so they might actually be successful enough to get the ball out to the 40, 45, 50, and then kick, you know, punt it deep. And then you have the Seattle where you know red zone offense is pretty random, but like the what's what has been difficult for <coughs> Smith has been fundamental. I, I think you know to your point about you know man. Uh, 
to your point about man coverages and that kind of thing. So I, I think that this game is actually going to be paced in, a, in an underway as well, just because you're going to get Seattle kicking field goals and, and Cleveland like decent enough to get to midfield, but Walker ultimately not consistent enough to finish drives. All right. So that's uh, some reasons to potentially take a look at the under in this game when it is widely available again. We will end before we get to our best bets with one more game, and that's going to be Sunday night football this week. Uh, the Chicago Bears have some momentum going for them. Big win in week seven with Tyson Bajent, 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 whatever you want to call him, because I've heard him, the pronunciations like a million different ways so far. But pretty efficient game last week against the Raiders. Um, filled in for Justin Fields. Nothing crazy. 21 of 29, 162 yards and a touchdown. Didn't really make any big mistakes, but he's going to get another start as Justin Fields is out. The Chargers... I don't really know what more there is to say about them at this point. Listen, divisional matchup last week against the best team in the league in the Kansas City Chiefs. They lose 31 to 17, but Justin Herbert just not looking himself. Another two interceptions last week. It's been a struggle, and the Chargers are pretty big favorites in this game. They're laying more than a touchdown, minus eight, minus 112 right now at Pinnacle. The over juiced pretty heavily on the, on the 46 to the over at minus 118. I'll start with you, Suma. The Chargers have a tendency to play close games. The Bears, I think there's a, a very wide range on what they can be in game two with Badgent as well. But is there any reason to to want to go back here to the Chargers in terms of like, maybe this is a good spot for them? They've played some difficult teams lately, or are we on the fade Chargers train until they can show us something? I think it's probably a, a good spot for them, but it's also very hard to trust them to win by two scores right now because that offense is really not playing at that level that we thought it would. I think that the Mike Williams injury hurts them. Uh, Curry Lindsley being on IR also hurts them. And it just seems like the Chargers are not a team that can win by margin right now. Um, I've watched one uh, 90 minutes of uh, Chicago Bears offense film against the Raiders, and I think several things can be true. Um, the Bears had a very simple game plan for him, for him, very vanilla. I think he had an A dot of 2.5 yards. Everything was screens, moving the pockets, uh, uh, throwing into the flat and stuff like that. Um, and I think he still looked pretty good because at least pretty good for what we thought he would be. Um, he he made some he ma made some plays um, when the play broke down where Justin Fields would have taken a sack, I think. Uh, so overall, I think he, he outplayed expectations, but still being or well, still playing in a very simple offense. And what's also true is that the Raiders' defense is atrocious. They could not stop the run. They cannot tackle. Like basically, you can run away from 98 and um, can gain chunk plays on this defense. So I think overall it was a pretty good game plan in the sense that they try to not make any mistakes and lean towards their run game. And I think they can do the same here because the Chargers defense is um, again a very below average unit against the one. Um, the types of runs that the Bears run are also not defended very well by the Chargers. So I think as long as the Bears can get their run game going, they probably have a decent shot at, at staying within the number here. And 
yeah, I, I can easily see the Chargers winning by by seven or ten points. But right now, I just have too many reasons to back this team to to win by by more than a score. So, Eric, I'll go to you here because I think these are inherently challenging spots to handicap in the NFL, where you have a quarterback who played well last week, efficient, but how much of that was, like Suma said, the Raiders defense, who basically just allows every team to go up and down the field and they hope they can get stops in the red zone, uh, or how much of it could have just been that, you know what, maybe this is a quarterback that can run this offense well. Like, what are the Chargers going to offer in terms of a defensive game plan? Their coach, Brandon Staley, is supposed to be like a defensive guru. We've never seen it yet. They haven't been able to do it. Like, Is is there a, a reason to, to think that things are just going to suddenly turn for the Chargers? Is it just because the Bears might be bad? Yeah, I think that there are reasons. Like when you look at, for example, and I know they're not perfect, but like the PFF grades across the, the Chicago offensive line, right? You're talking about no one over a 65, Darno, right? You know, who's had his you know injury issues. Um, Jenkins, same thing. And then like Cody Whitehair, you know, Pat Borum. Like it's just, you know, it, it brings me back to a time when the Chargers were able to get, you know, six, five, six sacks from Khalil Mack against the Raiders. Like that kind of sieve of an offensive line. Um, you know, the Raiders, you know, really from a passer standpoint, only have like one player who can do a ton for them, whereas the Chargers have a few players who can get up the field. I think that will help. I think that will put, you know, Chicago in a little bit of a bind. Be that as it may, though, like the game that the Chargers were able to get all those sacks against the Raiders against a backup quarterback at home, they were only able to win that game by seven. Like it is the same nonsense you know, and I, I can't believe, you know, somebody mentioned Jeff in the chat, like Jeff, like, does he ever like, he never gets to like sleep well with the Chargers game coming up. There's always like some like, you know, issue with them. So I, to me, I think the Bears are the only side you can look at, even though I think on paper, the Chargers, you know, you grade the thing out are, are much, much better. Herbert to me has regressed, I think, from a decision making standpoint and an accuracy standpoint. The Bears are a slump buster in that regard. Um, but I, I just, I just don't trust the the Chargers to make the right decisions to cover, you know, to cover by margin. All right, Hitman, I'll throw to you here if you have any thoughts on this game as well. It seems that, you know, we talk about this a lot in terms of specific teams and their playing styles, right? It comes up with the Vikings a lot. Oh, Vikings always play these one score games. Well, it seems like the Chargers are involved in a lot of close games as well, and maybe they're just not like they might be that much better than the Bears but they find a way to make games interesting. Maybe they're not suited to cover this type of number. Do you put any stock into something like that? Yeah, I, I think it, it's just been such a, it's been such a long sample size with these teams under their current regimes. That's just team. And, you know, especially like covering that type of number, you, you prefer to have just not an absolutely terrible defense and the chargers defense, despite the talent that they've invested, like, over the past few years, we thought about this defense. You have Khalil Mack. You have Joey Bosa. Brandon Staley was this heralded defensive coordinator coming from the Rams. They signed J.C. Jackson years ago. Derwin James. Like, we thought this was going to be a good defense. And it's just been absolutely terrible. So it's tended to keep teams in games uh, at all times. Um, with that said, I know some people have been on the Tyler Begent train in, in the past. Begent, Begent. I, I don't, whatever. He, yeah. The point is, he stinks, is what I was going to say. Last week, he only had 10-plus air yards on 14% of his throws. We're talking about 
a division two quarterback. I mean, did he manage the game? Did they run the ball well and he managed the game? Yes, but I'm just not optimistic that this is going to – I feel like with a lot of these guys, once the league does get film on them after one game, two game, et cetera, it just starts to get worse for these guys. So I'm not that optimistic on the Bears quarterback situation. I did have them power rated as the worst team in the league after the field's injury. Upgraded them a little bit after last week, but it just wouldn't stun me if this team – did uh, regress back to what we thought they were going to be without Fields healthy. The chat the really, is saying they want to, yeah. they want the tea bag. They want tea bag to be the nickname for for Bagent or Bagent, and just not a Division Two quarterback only hitman. He did win the equivalent of the Heisman in Division Two. I don't remember what it's called. Yeah. I finished like a two hundred fiftieth that the year I played. <laughs> so like, look. <laughs> Listen, with the teabag stuff, we're a PG-13 show. We, we want everybody to be able to watch. We're not going to be making jokes like that. It, we call it like the badge of to... honor. If it's badgent, we call it like badge of honor or like you've been badged, you know, if like the charge, like Jeff's chargers get beat this week. Is it is it not weird that no, but there's no, been no consistent name for this guy yet? Like I see uh, Chris Hansen on on. Red Zone calling him one thing, the broadcast him calling him something different. ESPN's calling him like, let's just figure out what this guy's last name is. Please. Is it? Is it? Don't you think it's just like no one can actually believe that he's playing in the NFL, and so we're all just like, like why, why commit on actually learning what his name? Like it's like Bobby Okariki. Like we, it's like Akira K, but it's like three Okereke. years later after even he's actually gotten a contract that he's like, actually, my name is this. Like, I think people are just like, look, he's not going to last very long. Who gives a, who gives a crap about what his name is? I don't know. Well, it's funny, (laughs) funny that you mentioned that because the quality of quarterback that we think he might be down the road, still not one of us could make like a really strong case to bet the chargers in this game, which I think tells you a lot about where LA is at this point in the season relative to where they were with the preseason expectations. We're going to get into our best bets here in one second. Before we do, I just want to remind everyone of all the content that we have going on here on Forward Progress. We are live Monday through Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern time every single week, bringing you content daily. Sunday mornings, myself, 11 a.m. Eastern time. It's the Pizza Buffet. And then Sunday evenings, 8 p.m. Eastern time. I'd highly recommend you tune in 8 p.m. Eastern time on Sundays if you can, because myself and Clive Bixby give our early thoughts on every game for the upcoming week. We go through the numbers that Pinnacle's posting in real time, try to get you guys some good closing line value. A lot easier to win earlier in the week, as people know, with some of the numbers that we've been getting on that show as well. People are surprised that it's a PG-13 gambling show here, but that's why we had to asterisk out uh, Suma's little caption at the bottom there. We can't have can't be in violation of YouTube policies or anything like that and get some channel strikes. Um, all right. I said Chris Hansen. I meant Scott Hansen. Thank you very much in the, in the chat for correcting me. <laughs> not, not how to catch a predator, Chris Hansen. Um, all right. Such a good comment. Best bets for this week. Uh, in, in you know, Hitman's a golfer. I'm a golfer. We'll stick with the golf traditions, and uh, we'll have the guys that make birdies go up first. Eric, you were a winner last week. Maybe, I mean, you th- you think undeserving, but like like we said, minus three turnover margin, you still covered a big spread last week. So we'll go to you first. Who's the best bet going to be this week and why? I'm going to go with, against the same team I went against last week. I have... I, I'm committed to this idea that Arizona is, is very serious about getting the number one pick. The Ravens this season are 
a silly fair catch decision and a bunch of drop passes against the Steelers who have voodoo magic over them away from being undefeated. Uh, they dispensed with a pretty, pretty solid Detroit team last week. Uh, so, you know, I like them laying the eight and a half here. Uh, I make it all the way out. Yeah. I make the game. I make the game, you know, double digits. Uh, I think the Ravens, the other thing is, you know, we saw it last week. They're willing to go for the fourth downs uh, that will help them, uh, you know, cover numbers like this. And Lamar Jackson has been, you know, uh, really fantastic. I would put him as the second best quarterback in the NFL this year. So uh, I like the Ravens laying eight and a half here and uh, mostly a fade uh, on the Arizona Cardinals. All right. Uh, I also won my best bet last week with the Eagles on Sunday night football. So I'm going to go up here a second. You may have noticed earlier that I didn't give too many thoughts when we broke down the Carolina and Houston game. But I like the Panthers quite a bit this week at plus three, minus 109. I think that's good to plus three, minus 120. And as it stands right now, I have an edge on the Panthers regardless. If I'm just using metrics from pre-buy, I still would play the Panthers at this number. But I'm actually more optimistic for the Panthers going forwards. Obviously, the offensive coordinator, Thomas Brown, taking over play-calling duties. I think that's big. I think Frank Reich is kind of a dinosaur at this point. Uh, there's not a lot of pre-snap motion. His wide receivers have had struggles separating on the outside. I think a lot of it is schematic. So coming out of this bye, I expect to upgrade the Carolina Panthers offense. Uh, Hitman made a very good point in his breakdown of the game. But when we're trying to identify value on teams, well, look at Carolina. Their last four games prior to the bye, they played Miami, Detroit, Minnesota, Seattle. Those are four solid teams, in my opinion. They're all consistently like above average success rates on offense, that's going to make their Carolina defense look a lot worse than it actually is. But in terms of a stylistic matchup as well, Carolina, predominantly a cover three defense. CJ Stroud has been very good this year, but if you look at his numbers, the only splits that he has that are not above average from an EPA point of view have come against cover three as well. So I think there's an opportunity for success for the Panthers defense here. Ultimately, I can't get to the number. Give me Carolina plus three going with the team that I can't stand as the best bet this week. Hitman, the one-game winning streak was short-lived, but we need we can always start another winning streak, and that winning streak starts now. Who's it going to be and why? You got me motivated and ready to run through a wall, Rob. Thank you. We're going to go with the Atlanta Falcons, minus two and a half. You know, we talk a lot about the Mike Rabel voodoo and everything, but the Titans, remember, they've lost, they lost seven straight games to end 2022. They're now 2-11 their last 13 games. This is just a really bad roster and a bad team. And we got to see after that Kevin Byard trade, a lot of people talking about like, oh, are they tanking and everything? Well, obviously the players on the field aren't taking, tanking, but organizationally it just seems like a team that's looking to see what they have going into the future, going with what was their third string quarterback in Will Levis over Malik Willis. Just another sign that they're looking to see what they have in some of the young guys. I don't think it's a stretch to say that Will, with Ryan Tannehill out, the Titans are probably the league's worst offense. Levis in the preseason had a 46 PFF grade. He had two turnover-worthy plays and 19 snaps. He took four sacks. Titans have the league's Worst offensive line to go along with him. Their one weapon in the passing game, DeAndre Hopkins, going to be covered by a corner that does shadow opposing receivers in A.J. Terrell. 
And then you look at the Titans' defensive regression. Opponents have scored on 45% of their drives against the Titans this year, the third highest rate in the league. Desmond Ritter has looked significantly better in the past few weeks than what he looked early in the season when we thought he was going to be benched for Taylor Heineke. So I made this game three. So I think that there's value on the Falcons minus two and a half. All right. Hitman going at the Falcons and uh, definitely never trust anyone that puts mayonnaise in their coffee. Like Will Levis does. <laughs> Cannot think of something that is, uh, I'm, I know that's a German tradition Suma. So I'll, you know, I'll, you know, I don't want to make fun of it too much, but mayo and the coffee never, uh, never did it for me. Um, all right, let's end it off with you, Suma. Uh, Cowboys and Rams. You like a side in this game. Who's it going to be and why? Yes, I like the Rams. Um, I like Payne going against the Rams again, going against right angle sports here. Um, I just cannot get to this number. I'm pretty much more down on the Cowboys than I was in, in recent um, weeks. And I think I also think that the performances of the Chargers and the Niners recently somehow tell us something about the Cowboys. I think that their offense is um, not not even playing close to the level that, that I thought they would be going to the season. Their defense is not uh, playing to the level again. Trevon Dix being out hurts them. Leighton Vendash being out hurts them. Their run defense is not really, really good. And I also think that the Rams have a decent matchup here because the Cowboys play a lot of middle of the field close defense cover one cover three Stafford is much better against these coverages um, in the 50 plus uh, 50 percent plus success rate range against these types of coverages um, also I, I like the rushing matchup for the Rams here I think they might get something going on the ground their their number one go-to run concept is Manduro at a 47 percent success rate followed by inside zone also above average success rate and Dallas defense, which is not great against the run, allows a 58% success rate against inside zone and 43 against Mandu. So um, I like that matchup for the Rams. Prescott has been really, really good against the blitz and against the man coverage this year. Now he gets a defense that is very zone heavy, doesn't blitz too often. So I think that the Cowboys, with the way they are playing offense this year, are really going to have patience and need to methodically move the ball down the field. And I don't trust this current state of the Cowboys offense with Mike McCarthy um, as the as the play caller to really um, get to a or get to such a high efficiency rate that they can cover by margin or by at least a touchdown against this this Rams uh, team, especially the offense, which I think has been playing very well so far this season. So um, number two high, Rams plus six and a half for me. All right. That's going to do it for this week's best bets here on Forward Progress. A reminder to everyone, if you're not subscribed here to Forward Progress, hit that subscribe button down below. Click that bell to set notifications. You'll get notified when we go live every single day with content throughout the week. And as always, if you did enjoy the content, you made it all the way to the end here. There's over 200 of you in here at once. Smash that like button on your way out of the stream. For myself, Rob Pizzola, for Dr. Eric Eager of Sumer Sports, check him out. For Hitman, for Suma, and for our producer that you don't see behind the scenes, Jason Cooper, thank you very much for tuning in to the Best Bets Edition. Powered by Pinnacle Sportsbook. Use code HAMMER when signing up for Pinnacle in Ontario. And good luck with your bets this week. We'll be back 
on Wednesday for best bets in week nine. 